Tonight on Fig Tree Watchers, we're addressing statements and answering your questions here on Topical Thursday that's actually on a Wednesday. That's next here on Fig Tree Watchers. Well, it is going to be a great night tonight. We're going to be uh, answering some of your questions. In fact, if you have a question, tonight is a great night to post that question down. Something that, that you've been wondering about in the Bible. Uh, it's a great opportunity. There's a little question mark at the bottom of your screen. So make sure you uh, hit that question mark. Ask it. If you want to go live with me tonight, you're welcome to go live. Um, but I do have some stuff that I'm going to go over for y'all. And uh, hopefully you're going to enjoy tonight. We're going to discuss uh, some of the questions that we've had for a while that have been brought up. And so tonight, it is Topical Thursday night on a Wednesday because we're moving everything up. Because tomorrow night at 9 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, one hour earlier, we're doing Friday Night Prophecy on a Thursday. Because my partner uh, in ministry is uh, busy on Friday. Uh, he is doing a youth event and uh, that is a major part of what he does. Um, and so... We want to work around his schedule and also gives me an opportunity to accomplish a couple of things that I need to do. So this is going to be a, a great uh, week and hopefully you'll enjoy it. But tonight's study is going to be great also. So we're going to go over some things and, and uh, discussions. Let's uh, remind everyone that you can always listen to the podcast, uh, the live broadcast of uh, this on replay here on Instagram and on all the major podcast platforms. We are now on Amazon. So I want to encourage you to check us out on Amazon uh, at Fig Tree Watchers. Uh, you can find us on Spotify, all the major platforms. We also want to let you know that if you ever have a question, you can message us here on Instagram. You can also email us at info at FigTreeWatchers.com and we would love to um, answer your questions because we really do appreciate you. Remember, this is a ministry that Io and I both do from the heart and so we are just interested in sharing the good news of Jesus and educating you about your scripture, about your Bible. And so thank you so much for joining us. It is always a privilege to have you on here. Um, Last night, uh, study, uh, thank you so much for a lot of the feedback that we received, the notes uh, that we were able to get from different people, and I'm glad that you liked uh, getting those notes up on uh, uh, Telegram. Remember, if you don't participate on Telegram, you can always go to figtreewatchers.com. You can see uh, the Telegram feed there. You can actually look at it and pull the notes from there without ever having to belong to uh Telegram, so kind of a cool thing that we do for you, and we just so appreciate you. We want to give you as many opportunities as you can. You can also find our podcast access right there, um, as well as other cool articles that we've written uh, that are available for you. So, God bless you, and uh, before we begin, why don't we just get involved in some prayer tonight, all right? Praise God. Alright. Okay, well welcome everyone who's joined us. 
Awesome. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you for tonight. We thank you, God, that we can um, come together. And tonight is one of those nights where we can answer questions. We can address statements. We can talk about different things, Lord. Um, a variety of different issues coming up, Lord, and, and some really cool stuff. So, God, guide us uh, in the discussion tonight. Uh, let people be bold in asking questions that they've been wanting to ask. And, um, Lord, uh, give us patience with one another and kindness with one another and let our love abound to all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, um, tonight is Topical Thursday. Uh, move to Wednesday because of the, the schedule changes for this week. Uh, and... Uh, it's going to be a pretty interesting discussion tonight. We're going to go over some things that I have, but there's a question mark, little symbol down at the bottom of your screen. If you've got a question tonight, feel free to ask it. If you want to go live with me tonight, feel free to, to uh, hit that request button and, and I'll bring you on for the live and we can talk. The only rule is we're going to be kind, we're going to be gentle, we're going to be loving to one another. That's the one rule because we... Well, at least I am Christians, and I believe that some of you in the audience are Christians also, so we're going to behave like Christians, not like lions. Okay? Um, let's get started uh, with some of the questions. The first one was actually a statement made. And uh, in November of 2019, I did an, uh, a video on Acts, and I addressed... Um, the issue of the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. And I said, is it judgment of God or is it the second coming? And why I addressed it in that way was to address the issue of an eschatology theology called preterism. Preterism. Now, before I get into the statement that this person responded three years later on, which I'm really happy that he did, um, and uh, he made a statement to me, the person, I'm going to read his statement to you, and uh, but I want to address once again for those of you who don't know what preterism is. Preterism, in a nutshell, is the idea that Jesus came in 70 AD and all prophecy is fulfilled. Uh, and so we're living in the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, which I don't get personally because I don't know how he can be living in a millennial reign of Christ um, when things are just getting really nasty and ugly. I, I don't see that. However, that's what preterists believe. Um, and I strongly disagree with that belief, if you didn't know that. So let me read his statement. He says a couple of bunch of things here. Um, uh, and so stay with, bear with me. He says, and we're going to call him Maurice. Marie says, if Daniel was given a vision in which it was said 70 weeks, 490 years was determined on Daniel's people, the Jews, and the holy city of Jerusalem, and Jesus said the kingdom would be taken from Israel and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof, the church, and Paul wrote to the people of his day warning of those things which were coming to them in the last uh, days, of the old covenant age, and Peter described the end of the Jewish age, and Jesus said the things about to be revealed in Revelation would shortly come to pass. And finally, John described the passing of the old heaven and earth, a term referring to Israel, and described the descent of the new heaven and earth, the church. Why do people lift 
all these passages out of their context and move them forward hundreds of years into the future and apply them to the whole world. Could it be because they have all listened to Darby and Schofield? Fulfilled eschatology takes the Bible as it is written, no delays, no gaps, no reasons to fear things that apply to Israel and, and have all been fulfilled. That is how I understand what God purposed. Jesus is now King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Okay, so Maurice, in several other conversations I've had with him, is a preterist. He believes that all scripture has been fulfilled. The Bible's finished. It's over and done with. Jesus is Lord. Congratulations. It's all done. We're all finished. We're, we're living in the millennial reign and, you know, everything's hunky-dory. Let me go to some of his statements and break it down right off the bat, okay? First off, he says things that the scripture actually doesn't say. And I want to get to that in a moment here. Um, he's talking about the fruits there of the church, okay? Uh, a nation bringing forth the fruits there of the church. Yes, the church does bring the church, the fruits of the spirit through the body of Christ. And then he says, and Paul wrote to the people of his day, warning of those things which were coming on them in the last days of the old covenant age. And Peter described the end of the Jewish age. Well, actually, Peter never described the end of the Jewish age. He, he didn't. In fact, what he was describing, what Paul and Peter both were describing was the end of the age of grace. Okay, which is the fulfillment of the end of the Gentiles era and a restoration of Israel coming back. In fact, that's what Paul actually says in Romans 11. He describes that all of Israel will be saved. The second thing he does, which is completely um, bizarre to me, but is standard protocol for preterists, is he stated that John, uh, Jesus, I'm sorry, Jesus described the events of the book of Revelation. And he, he clearly says here, Jesus said the things about to be revealed in Revelation. First off, Jesus never mentioned the book of Revelation in when he was here uh, walking the earth. He never mentioned the book, okay? Not one time is there any kind of scripture alluding to the book of Revelation in any of the gospels, not once. He describes events in the last days, but he doesn't tie those events and say they're historical events and, and tie them that are past history. He doesn't do that. It's very confusing. The third thing that he does, which is very bothersome to me, is he takes a statement uh, in the book of Revelation where John describes the passing of the old heaven and earth, and he says it's a term referring to Israel and describes this, uh, the uh, descent of the new heaven and earth as the church, okay? Number one, nowhere in scripture does it reference the old heavens and the earth as Israel. There's no link whatsoever between the old heavens and the earth, the current heaven and earth that we're living in right now, and a future heaven and earth being described to the church. And this is where I'm going to break this statement down that he makes to me where he starts to really fall apart in his teaching and his eschatology of preterism. Number one, let's let me give you some things to think about. If Jesus came in 70 AD, the first question you need to ask yourself as a sound 
person who studies the scripture, you have to ask yourself, where is the resurrection of the dead? If Jesus came in 70 AD, where's the resurrection of the dead? And why didn't anyone see it? Now, how do we know that no one saw the resurrection of the dead? Because no one in the early church fathers in the first 300 years of the church mentions, hey, there were a bunch of people that resurrected from the dead in 70 AD. It's not even thought of. In fact, on the contrary, we actually have eyewitness testimony of people who say the opposite. They tell us that Jesus is coming. We have Ephraim, the Syrian in 350 AD, who not only describes the rapture, but he also says that Jesus is coming after the tribulation. So the, the second coming of Christ. So that kind of totally goes against preterism right there. The second one that I love the most is you have Papias. Papias actually makes the statement. He said, John told me that after the tribulation, the, Jesus would come and rule for a thousand years. So we have an eyewitness testimony. Now, who is Papias? He was actually a disciple of John who wrote the book of Revelation. So if anyone knows, this is the guy that's going to know it. So major problem with preterism is no one saw the resurrection of the dead in 70 AD. Okay. That's a major problem. And then there's no eyewitnesses stating that preterism was a valid theology. You have all the early church fathers saying they're looking forward to the coming of the Lord. In fact, Barnabas also talks about this. Uh, in his letter, he actually says, look, it's going to all end up with the earth finishing off in 6,000 years. And on the 7,000th year, Jesus will come back and rule for a thousand years. He actually talks about it. He actually predicts that the earth would go 6,000 years with history. So we're coming up on that 7,000th year. So it is a, a really big problem for him. Is the resurrection of the dead, the eyewitness accounts that are there. But here's a third problem. And that is Israel. Why does Israel exist today? Why? For what reason does Israel exist today as a nation? Why has Israel, national Israel, fulfilled 40 different prophecies coming from Scripture unless God intended it to be national Israel? Because one thing we know is that God is not the author of confusion. He doesn't. Satan is. Satan wants to confuse us. But if we just read Scripture and we see that national Israel today has fulfilled 40 different prophecies, then we can kind of a, make the assumption logically through the scripture that maybe Israel's Israel and the church is a church. And when Paul breaks out the separation in Romans chapter 11, we can actually believe that. So I want to address the statement. Maurice, if you're listening to this, I love you, man. I really hope that you pursue a deep understanding of the resurrection of the dead and ask yourself, why didn't it happen in 70 AD? Maybe my theology is a little off base. S start with that. Don't even worry about the rapture. Seriously, Maurice, just focus on the resurrection of the dead. If you start there, the rest of it's going to come. I promise you. All right. All right. What's the next uh, question that I, I got this week that we're going to address here on Topical Thursday? This one's a great one I got. And I actually love this one. And I've got, received this one several times throughout the week. Hey, I'm a new Christian. I love worship music. But I've been hearing a lot of bad things about Bethel, about um, Hillsong. And I, I don't want to stop worshiping God, but I'm afraid of the music that I'm listening to. How do I know 
what Christian worship music to listen to? And I think that's a fantastic question. So here's number one, what you need to do. You need to forget about who's writing the song. Just forget about that part of it for a moment. Take the song itself, print out the lyrics, and search the lyrics in your Bible and see if your the lyrics match up with scripture. I listen, I'm going to tell you, I listen to some Hillsong songs. I listen to some Elevation songs. When there's sound in biblical theology. Why? Because if there's sound in biblical theology, I don't think God's going up there going, Hillsong wrote that song, I'm not listening to it. No, if it's sound in biblical theology, it's God's word coming through the song. So don't focus on the artist. Otherwise, you're going to get yourself in trouble, right? Because now you're becoming a fan of the artist, right? What do I always tell you about me and, and Brother Io? Okay, don't follow us. Follow Jesus. Search the scriptures to see if what I'm saying is correct, all right? Look through the scripture. That's what I want you to do, okay? Put your trust in Jesus, not in me, because I'm going to let you down. I will let you down, I promise. I am a sinner, a wretched man that I am. Okay, I am chief among them as sinners, but I am saved by grace through faith because of what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago. My faith is in Jesus Christ. But I'm here to guide you a little bit, to lead you towards the truth, which is Jesus. Jesus is the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So don't put your trust in me, but search the scriptures to test me to see if what I'm saying is true. And in the same way, do the same thing with the songs that you're listening to. Now, there is a second method that you can put into uh, practice. So what is that second method? Well, I've got a great site for you, and I'm going to recommend it to you. Uh, this site is called The Berean Test, Analyzing Lyrics in Jesus' Name. Now, for just a moment, I'm going to try to put you over here to um, my uh, computer screen, so bear with me um, as I just messed that up real quickly. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Okay, so we're gonna do that right here. I'm going to hopefully get this right, bear with me. I'm gonna reverse the screen if it lets me, and uh, there we go. Okay, good. So, um, free gas on us, yeah, there's the I love it that it's a Christian site and has a gambling casino out here in California. It's Yamava, which is a resort casino. I think that's awesome that the, oh no, what did I do? Okay, so here's the site and it is called the Berean Test. It's at thebereantest.com. One of the cool things that you can do is right here, I'm going to show this to you. I'm going to get a little bit closer, see if I can bring this up to you. Um, Right here is a place where you can request a song. Um, it's got reviews. You can look at resources, uh, polls. But here's what I like about it. And they've listed a bunch of songs. Now, I put the order in from 2022. So I wanted to show you the first song that they reviewed um, is Casting Crowns, The Power of the Cross. And they rate it um, a 10, a 10 out of a 10. And they say that this song is great for corporate worship. Now, if it says, no, it's not great for corporate worship, that's not a bad thing. That just means that it's great to sing in church. That's what that means, corporate worship. So that's not a bad thing or a good thing. 
what you're looking for is the rating here of it. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at this song right here, The Power of the Cross, and we're gonna look at how they broke it down, okay? Number one thing that they do, which I really like, is um, they kind of go over the song's lyrics. They list them down here. And then if you look right here, they list all the scriptures that this song coincides with. It's exactly what I do when I'm looking at a song. Now, I think it's kind of cool because I've actually have a couple of songs on my song list that I've kind of had to go back to and go, yeah, you know what? This is not a good song. This is one that I think I'm going to get rid of, right? And so I think this is a great little site for you. Once again, it's called The Brian Test. There are some songs that will shock you. I'm going to go back just for a second and show you one example of a song that will kind of floor you. It's Crowder. I have a ton of Crowder songs. And one of them is called Good God Almighty. They rate this song a six right here. I don't know if you see it. It's a six. Um, it's got a bad rating on it. Anything below a nine, I'm kind of really hesitant of having in my library. I would say that. But I'm real strict on what I listen to, although I have made mistakes. So it's kind of a cool thing for you to look at if you're new to Christianity and you want to see if, uh, some cool worship songs. And they kind of list genres and everything. Remember, some of these songs are not meant to be in a worship service. So let's reverse it back over. Awesome. Um, I hope that helped you out uh, and gave you a little understanding there of some, a site that you can go to to help you figure out. They list the verses. They'll tell you why the song's not a great song. All those good things. Um, and uh, I... I think that will generally guide you. But remember, always search the scriptures to see if the song is a biblical song. Uh, I hope that helps out. I got to pause just for one second. Whoever's down here, can you take the dog upstairs? She's freaking out a little bit. All right. The dog's down here with me and uh, she's kind of freaking out a little bit. So I need to get her upstairs. Um, the next question that we had this week... Um, is a question that someone brought to us. Is alcohol a sin? And I'm going to add another uh, question that I got this week, which was, um, should should I take marijuana? Is taking drugs a bad thing? Should I date someone who thinks that marijuana is good? Uh, is it okay to date someone that's growing pot? I, I actually received those a bunch of those questions this week. And so uh, I thought I'd address them biblically, right? First Peter tells us that we are to be of sound mind and a sober spirit. Now, if you're taking drugs, you're allowing something to hallucinate your mind and to take your mind off of Jesus. If you are a Christian, your whole focus needs to be on Jesus and not on drugs. Not on drugs. And I know all of the arguments. Remember, I have ADD, right? Hey, you, I take marijuana to calm my ADD down. No, don't. Don't. You know what? You have ADD because God gave it to you as a gift. You need to stop looking at it as like some sort of curse. I have dyslexia, right? I struggle with reading. The older I get, my dyslexia is actually getting worse. 
But you know what I also have as a gift from dyslexia? I have the ability to see things in the scripture that other people don't see. I have discernment that God's given me through it. I no longer see my dyslexia as a, as a problem. I actually see it as an asset. I see my ADD um, because I'm not on medication anymore. Uh, through God, I've been able to, to utilize the, the, the weaknesses of ADD and make them my strengths. And even my wife is kind of astonished in, in the change that, that's happened over the last few years in that area. So there's no excuse for taking drugs whatsoever. They damage your mind. And number two, they really open up a doorway to the demonic realm. I really believe that. And, and when you see someone who is constantly on marijuana, you see someone who is apathetic, someone who's lazy uh, there. Now, Concerning alcohol, no, alcohol is not a sin to drink. Now, I will tell you that because of my teaching here online, I don't drink, okay? I choose not to. Um, I don't want to uh, because I want to honor God and make sure that I am always of sound judgment, a sober spirit at all times as an obligation that I do before you. I will have on Thanksgiving one glass of wine. Uh, with my family because we do communion on Thanksgiving. Um, I'll have a, another glass of wine on New Year's Eve because we have a communion that we do with our family um, and one on Easter Sunday. Those are like the three times that I will have one glass of wine restricted, but it is for purposes of, of family tradition and remembering what Christ did on the cross. Getting drunk, the Bible makes it clear. Don't get drunk. Don't be a drunkard. In the last days, there'll be drunkards. And it refers to, um, in the book of Revelation, at one point it refers to the sorcery is pharmakeia, which is the, the Greek word there. So it alludes to the idea of pharmaceuticals being part of the demonic spirits that are running amok in the last days. Well, we can see that today. We can actually see that. And so we understand that scripture a lot better than they did, you know, 500 years ago. Remember, we're not to do anything with access, the scripture says, to, to excess, right? Keep everything in moderation, the Bible says. So I think that's the answer for that one right there. Um, if, By the way, anytime anyone else wants to ask a question here, I'll interrupt and, and answer a question there. Um, but uh, I, I really love your comments. And I want to tell you that, by the way, thank you so much for always commenting. I really appreciate it. Um, and someone said here, we should not worship man. Absolutely. We worship God and God alone. Amen. So the next question uh, that I received is, could you please explain congruent theology uh, again to me? I understand the, the concept of it, but I want to understand it in a deeper fashion. Could you explain to me why you're not a Calvinist and why you're not Armenian, why you believe in congruent theology? Well, number one, congruent theology is biblical theology. And where it stems from is from Deuteronomy 19.15. It says, One witness shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity or any sin that he commits. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. Now, this is an important law that God brings down for man to have in, in Deuteronomy. And he's instructing Moses to give this to the people. But this is important because if you do a word study on witnesses 
in the scripture. Remember, I always tell you, take the word all, do a study on all, the word all, and, and you'll, it will straighten out a lot of your theology problems. You'll start to believe that all means all in the scripture when it says the word all, right? Well, witnesses is another one you should do a word study on. You should look it up everywhere it is. And one of the interesting things is, is when we go to the New Testament and we go to First um, John uh, chapter 5, I'm going to turn there real quickly, we see that God uses the same rule that he established for man to govern man, that you must have two or more witnesses. He uses the same rule in heaven. He establishes that rule in heaven. In fact, he establishes that rule as a rule of conduct for all mankind, right? Let's take a look at it. First John chapter five. We're going to look at it. And we're going to look at um, starting in um, verse six. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the spirit who bears witness because the spirit is truth. So here's a witness. God is saying the spirit bears witness because the spirit is truth. That's interesting because John also writes in the gospel of John, this is first John, he writes that the spirit, Holy Spirit guides us to all truth. Why? Because the spirit is truth. We have a reason now. Now we understand the why of why the Holy Spirit guides us to all truth. Now in verse seven, it says this, for there are three that bear witness in heaven. Oh, three. Remember, we're supposed to have a matter is confirmed by two or more witnesses. For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. They're one. Wow. Perfect Trinity verse. Awesome. And there are three that bear witness on the earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree as one. So our very nature, the, the Spirit, the water that we're born of and the blood, they agree as one, stating that we are human, right? And any God, John is, if to double down on God, to have you really understand the spiritual concept of this is, if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his son. He who believes in the son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe in God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his son. Now, what is the testimony that God has given? It's the word of God. Remember, all scripture is God breathed. Jesus said that all scripture points to him. He explained on the road um, after he rose from the dead to the, to the guys he was traveling with. He, he explained from the law and the prophets, everything concerning him, everything concerning him. Well, Let's look at another passage of scripture on this, if you don't mind. We're going to look at um, Isaiah 28. I'm going to go there right now. Bear with me. Isaiah 28, and we're going to go to verse 10. He says this incredible passage right here and it is for precept must be upon precept precept upon precept line upon line okay 
here a little, there a little. Now, why is he saying that? Because in verse 9, he tells you this. Whom will he teach knowledge and whom will he make to understand the message? Those just weaned from milk, those who drawn from the breast. And then he says, for precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. Meaning that God is going to establish a little bit of a time through the word of God, the precept upon precept, the line upon line, and this will be confirmed. Okay. Well, Stefan, give me, give me one more understanding of this. Well, let's look at 1 Corinthians 2.13. 1 Corinthians 2.13 in the New Testament. I think this is going to kind of excite you a little bit. 1 Corinthians 2.13. These things which we spoke, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. So who teaches us? The Holy Spirit does. He guides us, as John said, to all truth because he is truth. So he's going to teach us these precepts upon precepts, these line upon lines, and he's going to confirm them through two or more witnesses in the scripture. All right, so let me tie this together for you because I probably just confused the heck out of you all. All right? This is what congruent theology is. Congruent theology says, I'm going to establish my theology through multiple witnesses of the scripture. Multiple witnesses of the scripture. I'm going to let scripture dictate what my theology is. And I'm not going to take one verse and manipulate it and build a theology on it. Okay, let's give an example of something like that. Right? Um, The rapture. I believe in the rapture. I need to find at least two or more verses that identify the rapture. Well, I can do that. We have... 1 Corinthians chapter 15 talks about the rapture. We have 2 Thessalonians. The whole purpose of 2 Thessalonians is to tell you why Paul's writing it is right there in chapter 2. He's writing it because the church of Thessalonica thought they missed the rapture and they were living in the tribulation. And Paul's telling them, hey, don't believe the fake newsletter that you got from CNN. I'm paraphrasing here really badly. I know, I'm joking. But he's actually saying, don't believe this fake letter that supposedly came from me. For that day has not come until the Antichrist is revealed. He tells you that. So you won't miss the rapture because the Antichrist is, is, hasn't been revealed yet. Okay? That's how you know. And then you have 1 Thessalonians, which talks about the rapture. So we have an idea that the rapture exists in Scripture. Okay? We can argue pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib. We can argue that. But we can't argue that there's no rapture. If I believe in the resurrection of the dead, like I brought up today, where do we see scriptures of the resurrection of the dead? We see that again in 1 Corinthians 15. We see the resurrection of the dead in the book of Revelation. We see it several times. So we know, in fact, Paul actually says this. Look, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then our gospel is in vain. He actually tells you that. If it doesn't happen, then everything we've been teaching you is a lie and it's worthless. But the resurrection of the dead will happen because Jesus rose from the dead and you can count on it. So that's a great idea. We get multiple sources to build our theology on. And we don't allow man-made influences to affect us. That's why I say, look, 
one of the words that's attacked the most in the scripture is the word all, right? Because they're going to tell you, no, Christ only died for some. That's what a Calvinist would say. They believe in limited atonement. Christ only died for some. So some are predestined to hell and some are predestined to heaven. Because Christ didn't die for everyone. He died for some. And you're misinterpreting the word everyone. You're misinterpreting the word all. Well, I don't believe that. Because if that's the case, then you have to use that word all as the word some and you have to apply it to the rest of Scripture and it makes no sense. If Christ died for some, then you have to use that word all, change it to some and apply it to the rest of Scripture wherever the word all exists. And that doesn't work. It doesn't. It doesn't work at all. So please, allow Scripture, witnesses in the Scripture, to dictate your theology. And that's what congruent theology is. And if you do that, have multiple witnesses in the Scripture for your theology, you're not going to get messed up. So when someone comes to you and goes, well, I've got this one verse here in Acts that says you have to be baptized to be saved, you can go, well, maybe you're misinterpreting that because I can't find another witness to that scripture. In fact, the rest of scripture actually says the opposite. It says you're justified by faith in Christ alone, by grace. So is it by grace or something you do? Okay. Hope that helped you with that one. Um, There are some other things which um, I, I thought I'd share for you. One of the other issues that that congruent theology really holds to is don't add anything to Scripture that isn't there. Don't add anything to Scripture that isn't there. And don't take away from Scripture something that is there. Okay? A lot of people get in this mindset of manipulating Scripture by adding a theology. Like the guy, the, the preterist. He added something there that, that's not found anywhere in Scripture. That the old earth that passes away is, is Israel and the new earth coming is the church. It doesn't say that. He's adding a mindset into the Scripture that isn't there. In fact, this is really important. This is another one of those two witnesses Scriptures. Look at this. Deuteronomy 4.2 You shall not add to the word which I commanded you, nor take from it. That you keep my commandments of the Lord your God, which I commanded you. Now, we add that to the scripture in Revelation. We, we, we congruently add it in with this warning from the book of Revelation, chapter 22, verses 18 through 19. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Well, I just read that and I just got chills down my spine because that guy that just said, well, this is Israel and he's adding stuff to that scripture where it doesn't say that. That's dangerous. That's really, really bad theology. Don't do that. Don't. Add something or take away something that is that is clearly written the way it is. It's clearly written. So I want you to understand it because this is really important, guys. It's sound way of studying God's word. Don't read things into the scripture that aren't there. And don't 
take away things out of the scripture that are there. That's the most important thing. So I hope that answers the question on congruent theology um, and, and how I study God's word and um, to be consistent. I want to be consistent in my theology. So remember, I came out of Calvinism and I didn't want to run towards Arminianism. And um, <laughs> Andrea says, come on, why don't you add some CNN in there? No, I don't want to because that's not God's word is sufficient for me. And I just want to believe God's word as it is. Look, here's one of the biggest issues that I see with a lot of people's eschatology where it goes really sideways, right? They're always adding things into their eschatology that aren't really there in scripture. They're not. And you shouldn't do that. It's a big mistake. Um, that's one of the reasons why there's so much confusion among a lot of people, right? They, they're too busy with their own man-made theology. Drop Calvinism, drop Arminianism, stick to the scripture. So to me, congruent theology is the most biblical theology because it's based on multiple witnesses in the scripture that build that theology. All right, um, the next question. Boy, we're actually running out of time here. Next question that I received is, oh yeah, this was a great one. Explain how repentance is an attitude in scripture. Um, okay, so we've been talking a lot about repentance and that it's not a work of man. So here's a great example of congruent theology at place. Only one scripture in the whole Bible alludes to the idea that repentance is a work. It, it alludes to it. It doesn't actually say it. It alludes to it. And that would be Jonah 3.10. It's the only scripture in all of God's word that you could find that alludes to it. There is a problem if you say that repentance is a work and you build your theology one on one verse, right? So congruent theology says you can't do that. You have to have witnesses. Well, I can't have a witness to John 3.10 because it stands by itself. So maybe it's not saying what I think it's saying. Maybe I need to look at it and examine it and ask more questions. So congruent theology causes you to ask more questions of the scripture you're reading. So the first question I would ask is on Jonah 3.10, if it's a work of man, why did God accept the work? Why did God accept the work, right? He accepted their work of repentance. So if it's a work of man, why did God accept their work for salvation? Okay. Now, I've heard this debate long enough so I can give you kind of what they're going to say. They're going to say, well, it wasn't spiritual salvation. It was physical salvation. Okay. We have a problem with that. How do we know? Because Jesus said to the Pharisees that in the last days, the people of Nineveh would stand in judgment over the Pharisees. Okay. Now, why is that a big deal? Well, because of 1 Corinthians. Let me see if I have this. 1 Corinthians 6, 2 and I believe 6, 2 and 6, 3. Let me go there. Let me, let me I I'm actually here in 1 Corinthians. Let me go there real quick. Listen to this. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? What? The saints are going to judge the world? Okay, and if the world will be judged by you, 
Are you unworthy to judge the smallest manners? This adds a great verse. Do you not know that we shall judge the angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? So Paul is telling us in 1 Corinthians 6, 2 and 3 that that we, the saints, are going to judge the world with Jesus Christ and we're even going to judge the angels, the fallen ones, right? We're going to sit over judgment of them. So Jesus is saying about the people of Nineveh, they're, they're saints because they're going to sit in judgment over the Pharisees. They're saints. They're, that means they're saved. It wasn't just a physical salvation of sparing the city from destruction. It was a spiritual salvation. All right? So that means that repentance is not a work of man, but it has to be at least a work of God then because God ordained it all, right? He accepted their works and for salvation, for spiritual salvation. All right, but now let me answer the question that was given here. And this is the, the one that I love. This is the one that really proves it completely. And, and I think you guys are gonna like this one too. And it is Acts chapter 26. Paul is talking to, um, he's, re, he's, he's restating his, his conversion. He's giving his, his personal witness testimony about how he came to Christ, okay? And so um, he says, O king, and he's talking here. And in, in, in verse um, 14, he says in chapter 26, and when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me, saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the groats. So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and the things which I will reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles. Okay, let's stop for a second. Paul is telling you something really important. He's telling you, okay, you will be a minister and a witness. There's that word witness, by the way. Pay attention to it. Both of the things which you have seen, a witness to what you've seen, and of the things which I have yet to reveal to you, prophecy. So Paul is going to speak on the things he's seen and the things that he's going to prophesy on. And then he's, Jesus is saying, I'm going to deliver you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I now send you. So I'm sending you back to them. Now, he says to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light. I want you to pay attention to this. Because repentance, the definition of repentance can be one of two things. It can be a turning from an attitude change, or a change of mind, according to the scripture. In fact, in Jonah 3.10, we actually see both. They turned from their wickedness, and God repented. He had a change of mind of destroying their city. So we see both of them in that passage of Jonah 3.10. Now, here he's telling them, Jesus is saying, I want, I'm sending you to open their eyes in order to turn from darkness to light. In fact, that's what you do. You turn from sin towards Jesus. You turn from the darkness of your life towards Jesus, toward the light, okay? 
that they may receive forgiveness of sins and and an inheritance among those who are sanctified in faith in me. So Jesus is giving Paul the, the, the scripture. And Paul is telling this. Now in verse 19, listen to what he says to King Agrippa. This is awesome. Because now you're getting this understanding that, wait a moment, repentance is an attitude change according to the scriptures in the book of Acts, along with Jonah 3.10, along with 2 Corinthians 7.10, God, uh uh, godly sorrow produces repentance that leads to salvation, right? You have these all these congruent verses in there that are now telling you that repentance is not a work of man, okay? Now you get this one, and this is really good. So in verse 19 of Acts 26, he says, Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent... Turn to God, right? There's the word turn, just as Jesus told them. I want you to turn them to me, right? Turn them from darkness to light. Okay, turn to God and do works benefiting repentance. Benefiting repentance. What Paul is saying there is that repentance is not a work. You do works benefiting of the attitude of repentance. And that's why... Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 7.10, right? Godly sorrow produces repentance that leads to salvation. And when you're saved, you now do the works that that benefit your repentance in Jesus Christ. Which is why Jesus said, repent and believe in the gospel. So repentance is an attitude that God does in you. Through the Holy Spirit. In fact, going back to John 16, right? The Holy Spirit guides you to all truth. But what do we learn in around the eighth verse in John 16? That God, Jesus is sending the Holy Spirit into the world to convict the whole world. Whole world. All, like John, look at John 3, 16. The world of sin. And Jesus says, why of sin? Because you don't believe in me. So the Holy Spirit comes in to convict us of sin before we ever believe in Jesus because we don't believe in Jesus. That's why the Holy Spirit comes into the world to convict us of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So when you look at this, there's this perfect, I'm actually giving you, going back to that congruent theology, I'm giving it to you congruently. Now you're getting to see that on display, but now you're getting to understand why repentance is not a work of man. But it's an attitude change of the heart that turns you toward God. It leads you to salvation, as 2 Corinthians 7.10 says. And there, now you got a clear understanding of 1 John 1.9 and 10, right? That you confess your sins to the Lord, right? And if you don't admit your sins, you're a liar, 1 John 1.10 says. And the word of truth is not in you. So I hope this helps you all. Um, and I, I didn't see any other questions tonight, but we are done for the night. I hope you enjoyed these uh, answers to these five questions uh, that we received tonight. And um, I, I so love you. And um, hopefully we get some more of these questions. Please send them in. I love getting your messages. And uh, um, and I'm, I always want to address the questions that you bring us all. Thanks for watching Fig Tree Watchers tonight. 
Tomorrow night, don't forget, it's 9 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, one hour earlier. We'll be on for Friday Night Prophecy, but it will be on a Thursday night. God bless you all and take care.